the program associate at Ponars Eurasia, and with us today is Sergei Medvedev, a professor of politics at the Higher School of Economics, Moscow. Sergey, thank you so much for joining me for this Ponars podcast. My pleasure. What is biopolitics and why is it important to study? Well, it's an interesting thing that suddenly something which came upon Russia in this uh, transition from hybrid regime, from hybrid authoritarianism to full authoritarianism, which we had seen in the, in the last five, uh, seven years in Russia. And there were indeed many uh, how should I put it, uh, formats of this uh, transition. Like one of them being memory politics and historical politics, and Russia is suddenly, you know, reenacting its own past. Uh, another being the annexation of Crimea and the reorganization of politics. Uh, yet another one being a permanent state of war, war with Ukraine, war in Syria. And then another peculiar element was biopolitics. Uh, so actually, uh, that's something that uh, it's like a Ponar's collaboration. We're working on this already for five or six years with Andrei Makarachev, a Ponar's colleague, and we have published already three uh, articles. We're probably looking forward to have a book. Um, it's a set of uh, regulatory mechanisms by a modern state that treats the population as a biological mass and uses some kind of medicinal techniques in order for it to be more effective, more productive, and more manageable, more governable. Uh, Michel Foucault came up uh, with this uh, definition uh, in his late lectures at Collège de France, and then you know many prominent thinkers, most notably Georgia Agamben, were writing on this, and they were examining how a modern state using this various you know body governance techniques. Uh, to be exact, it's like the state is making you, is compelling you to live a certain life. Because normally the state takes your life. The state can imprison you and can incarcerate you, the state can kill you, the state can send you to war. That's a normal monopoly on violence. But then this is next step. The state enforces you to live a certain correct life. Uh, like uh, which is connected to hygiene, which is connected to demographic politics, to reproduction, uh, to various you know medical treatments, uh, vaccinations, and and so on. So uh, the state treats uh, the people as a biological resource, and then suddenly it came upon us that uh, it is precisely the technique that the Russian state is using with respect to its citizens in this. Uh, in this period of uh, the devolution of the authoritarian devolution in Russia. And we specifically examined such policies as uh, like anti-gay laws, uh, which nobody had expected. They really came out of the blue. And then, for instance, Dima uh, Yakovlev law, uh, which prohibited uh, the foreigners from adopting Russian children as a retaliation for the Sergei Magnitsky Act of the U.S. Congress, uh, then suddenly, you know, the state strikes again the innocent uh, kids, which are not complicit with anything, so it punishes, uh, so to say, the Americans by punishing its own kids. Uh, and then there are some other funny measures which look absolutely absurd from the outside, like sanctions against Western foods. Like, in order to punish the West, uh, the, uh, Russia imposes sanctions on importation of uh, Western foods and uh, uh, its own population uh, is left without, you know, some things we, who, uh, they were used to, like cheeses, uh, like, you know, certain wines and uh, meat products, uh, fruit from uh, originating from the European Union, and so on. So if you look at this, uh, there are various um, spheres of uh, private uh, 
bodily physical existence into which state has interfered in order to consolidate its grip in the population and in order to mark a certain uh, you know physical board of sovereignty that the state has declared its sovereignty not just on the territory but inside the bodies of the russian people on that point how does the current russian regime use biopolitics and to which ends well, there's several uses of biopolitics. Uh, one is, uh, as I mentioned, is disciplining the society, uh, because it all happened in the wake of the Balotnaya protests, the uh, 2011-2012, after the rigged elections of uh, 2011. So the state was really taken by surprise uh, by the size of the protest movement in big cities, and then it started developing various. Um, how would I say normalization techniques, uh, like normalization in terms of you know Brezhnev normalization, or what in the fascist Germany they would call the Gleichschaltung, like the leveling of the um, of the population. So this is a very uh, key government technique aimed at uh, you know creeping uh, repression with respect to various aspects of uh, you know bodily activity of the people. Uh, once again, this is reproduction, uh, this is uh, outright to, some could say, fascist uh, anti-gay laws. Um, this is, uh, you know, looking after our foodstuffs, uh, the language we're using in the press. There's various censorship laws uh, that look after the kids. And in general, proclaiming a sort of, um, what I call in my paper, sexual sovereignty of Russia. Saying that Russia is the custodian of the traditional white uh, Christian uh, patriarchal values which the West had betrayed. So it's very much an identity anchor point. Uh, Russia is trying to build its own identity precisely on this kind of the neo-patriarchal uh, uh, biological foundation. And uh, generally speaking, theoretically, um, this really is a, a marker of some kind of a fascist evolution which is not only happening in Russia, it's happening all across the world. Because everywhere people start looking for what you know, the Germans call Blut und Erbe, Blut und Boden, blood and soil, blood and heritage. So we can see it in, the, you know, in Trumpism and Donald Trump and the policies of Brexit and the neo-fascist right in Eastern Europe, all, all across Eurasia. Uh, in Russia this is happening as well. It turned out we're not such a post-patriarchal and uh, secular society, that there's still huge reserves of uh, resentment, resentiment against the globalization and the liberal tolerant world. And you know, the government really tapped into this and uh, striked very masterfully. In this, um, in this biological way. So disciplining the population, disciplining the elite, uh, sending a sort of a signal to the West uh, and, uh, that this is kind of an identity war with Russia consolidating as some kind of sexual sovereignty and a decadent liberal West uh, which has betrayed uh, you know, moral chastity and uh, things like this. So um, it's useful in many ways and uh, it's really one of the pillars of this authoritarian drift. Finally, what are the strategies of resistance to this biopolitics? Hmm. It's really hard to say uh, because it's about um, infringement on the rights, on the inherent rights of the individual for his or her body. Uh, and uh, uh, indeed, uh, this is a private sovereign space of the individual, uh, like what one is. Uh, sexual practices, uh, what kind of, you know, family choices uh, he or she makes, and, um, and so on. So this is also a, a struggle for civil rights. But I don't see any kind of a, 
meaningful resistance strategy in Russia. Uh, the only thing being is that um, this biopolitics is really very much rhetorical. The state does not have the resources to uh, pursue the biopolitics. Because one thing we're calling about biopolitics of Hitler or Stalin, these were strong interventionist regimes that also had possessed a huge um, you know, reserves of social policy, which the Soviet Union did. But now, in today's Russia, we see a total decomposition of social policy in a way that there's no proactive social policy. The only social policy is like falling down all the, the, so the achievements of the Soviet social state. Like the latest example being the raising of the pension age. So in some, uh, in some parts of Russia, in some segments of the population, the average life expectancy is lower than the pension age. So like, people have to work until the day they die. Uh, so they no burden for the regime. So what kind of biopolitics can you talk about when you know, people are used as a kind of a resource? Uh, they're pressed. Uh, as we call it in Russia, we have this joke, uh, people are second oil now in Russia. As the oil price is going down, and you know the state can no longer really uh, rely on oil revenues, so people are the next best thing. So you impose higher taxes, you raise uh, the pension age, uh, you um, dismantle the entire education infrastructure, the medical care infrastructure, and so on. You're cutting down on this uh, budget, and uh, indeed, uh, this biopolitical, biopolitical offensive is very much rhetorical. It's so much in Russia, as well, well as in is in geopolitics, but also in biopolitics. It's like a symbolic offensive by the Russian state, which is not really seconded, which is not supported by a proactive social policy. So um, I wouldn't say that there is a strategy of resistance, but uh, there is a strategy of failure in biopolitics. So this is uh, one of the uh, pillars of Putinism, this that in the long run is destined to fail. Fascinating. Sergey, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure.